Very good to see you. All right, hope you uh, are not irritable because of the lack of an hour's sleep. All right, please do not catch up on that during the sermon time or I'll call you out in all, in all seriousness. All right, go ahead and take your Bibles if you would. And, and for this will be one of the few times I think we've ever done this is actually I'm gonna have you turn to two places, all right? Uh, turn to Acts chapter two and then turn a book over and go to Romans chapter 12. We're actually gonna be in both of those uh, this morning. Uh, let me do something also. Uh, we are very excited about what God's doing in the life of our church. We are excited about, I'm personally excited, all the different stuff going on at all of our uh, WNC campuses. And uh, just reflecting over this uh, about the different things God is doing. Uh, and over, over in West Asheville uh, this past Wednesday, uh, they had one of the largest, if not the largest, starting point dinner that they've ever had. All right, so here we are a couple years into it. Had a phenomenal time. Uh, that, unfortunately, in West Asheville, I apologize. The plane did not get in on time to go join you, but Man, awesome job over there with the team. Uh, Hendersonville, uh, who would have thought that uh, just several years ago we would take, you know, we'd take a, basically a NASCAR garage and upfit it, and last week they actually uh, went over 1,400 people gathering for worship at that one location. Great job over there. Uh, Franklin, all right, you got a new facility coming up uh, this summer on Highway uh, 441, all right, and we got uh, uh, East Asheville, uh, which was our first uh, attempt at multi-site. Uh, and they are the oldest multi-site we've obviously got. I think it's been six plus years or so. And we are about three weeks, four weeks away. But April 7th, uh, just in a few weeks, uh, they will be moving into the uh, the artist or the property formerly known as Babies R Us. So they just got a few weeks uh, ready for that one. A very excited, brand new chapter for that. And then our new, brand newest one, uh, Biltmore and Espanol, actually baptized six people just last Sunday. So put your hands together for what... Uh, what God is doing. And what we want to do is we give glory to God, we give gratitude to the people, and here's where we are. It's very timely for us in, in all those regards, all right? We're in a series called Be the Movement, and what we've recognized is the fact that at its inception that Christianity was primarily a movement that was based on a conviction that Jesus came, lived a sinless life, died a substitutionary death, and then rose from the grave validating that he was who he says he was. And what we've been doing is kind of both uh, congregational and individual. What we've been doing is looking at it and saying, all right, uh, we're looking at the largest, most impactful movement in all of human history, all right? Four billion some odd people actually claim the name of Jesus uh, as their Lord. Now, you can differentiate, is that legit or not legit, but four billion people say, you know what? I follow Jesus as Lord. Lord that's from 2,000 years ago with 12 people of carpenters and tax collectors and fishermen, all right? Most impactful thing we've ever seen in human history, but what we're looking at is what about us as a church? We want to say, what do we focus on? What is our primary identity? What is our primary agenda? What are we supposed to be busy about? So that's kind of a group application, but also if you're a Christ follower, you're obviously making some individual application. Where do I fit into that, all right? Where do I fit into fulfilling God's purposes from my life? How do I come along and be a part of a movement that God is using, all right? And so here's what we started. A few weeks ago, we started about, it starts off in Acts chapter 1, embracing a mission that God has put every Christ follower on. Every Christ follower is called to be on mission with God, whether it be at your PTA, whether it be your softball game, whether it be on a church staff, but you are called to be on mission, all right? 
We have an amen right over here, right? So he believes it as well. So you start off with that one. Then the next week we looked at, okay, it was based on this book. It was based on the Bible, all right? And we looked at how the apostles' teaching and how that coincided with Old Testament and the New Testament teachings. And last week I would say uh, one of the highlights, the highlights, uh, probably top 10 for sure, at least in my 29 years of ministry, is definitely was last week, all right? Depending on what service you had, I know in the last service at Arden, uh, we were here till about 1245, and not only was that awesome to baptize all the way to 1245, but I say almost equally as awesome is that 95% of the people in that service, way past their reservations, way past their plans, got messed up. They sat here and stood, and they cheered and applauded person after person after person after person as they were baptized, all right? I've never seen a more exhausted group of vocalists in all of my life as I saw last week. It's like, all right, for the ninth time, there is a hope, all right? And they would just go through it. So that's what last week was. And uh, what we're looking at is today might be a little bit of surprise for you because many people, and let me be kind of blunt, let me play kind of Uncle Bruce for a second. Uh, That is this, and that is that many of you look at this next value as sort of the whip topping on the Christian life. You look at it as a extra, you know, it's not the meal, it's not the vegetables. It's kind of like, all right, if I'm going to get some pie, I might add that on. And what the Bible is going to make clear And what I hope you and I can then act on is, all right, this is anything but an extra. Uh, To set it up, let me give you a couple of ideas. First of all, even Hollywood, everybody recognizes this except sometimes the church, all right? Hollywood recognizes this. When you just look at some of the movies, and don't judge me by these examples, but these are two that that I happen to like. One of them is Black Hawk Down, right? Black Hawk Down is a war movie based on a true story of a mission in Somalia and Mogadishu, all right? But there's a, couple, there's a bunch of different lines in there. Two lines that have always stood out to me is one of them, this older officer, this army ranger, actually, I think he was a Navy SEAL. He was talking to an army ranger, a younger army ranger, and the army ranger was like, hey, it's about this, and it's about politics, and it's about mission, and it's about all this stuff. And he just looks at him, and he says this, you know what? When the bullets start to fly and everything starts to just crumble around you, it's going to be all about that man who is next to you. That's all it is. It's about the man next to you. And then one of the most moving scenes is later on when a guy named Mike Durant, one of the helicopter pilots, when he is actually taken captive and taken prisoner, and he's sitting there and he's losing hope, and they flew all night long, these helicopters, saying, Mike Durant, we will not leave you behind. We will not leave you behind. And he goes on to say later on, after he was rescued, it was that. It was his brothers saying that we have not forgotten you that let him be able to withstand what he went through. You look at, uh, remember the Titans, it was on just a couple of nights ago. You got, remember the Titans, based on a true story on segregation and desegregation in the state of Virginia and how that football team came together and you had different, you had different people. You had from, you know, you had black, you had white, you had rich, you had poor, or you had all these different backgrounds. You had people that came from married, or you had people that came from an intact family, people that came from a family that was not intact, and yet they all came together and they bonded over a particular goal. You can go to business. Uh, I looked up where Starbucks was actually founded, not just on a thousand different ways you can have your latte or not just 10 different ways you can have your pastry. It was actually designed initially to be a place where people could go and stay and talk and relate and communicate, not just grab it and go, not just go through the drive-through and go to work. It's a place where you can actually go and relate to each other. But I would just say, if you go in there now, and I'm not trying to you know, high side on anybody. I'm just saying you go in there now, it doesn't appear most people in there are relating. I mean, maybe some, but most of them have the laptop out, have the headphones on, have their phone, they're doing whatever. 
but that's not what it was designed for. You can even, I even read this week in USA Today, there was an article about millennials and Gen Z. Gen Z is basically 18 to 22-year-olds. Millennials are 23 to 37-year-old. They are the most connected generation in all of human history. All right, they've got all this connection, and yet when they studied them, over 50% or almost 50% say, I'm amazingly lonely. I'm so lonely. They actually even had a conference that was taking place in Austin, Texas, that said that it was called this. It was 10,000 followers and no friends. 10,000 followers and no friends. And so we've got a society that hungers for connection from Pinterest to groups to 900 million Facebook people to Instagram to Twitter. And what we understand is being connected does not mean that you are in community. And God has designed the local church. Listen to me. He's designed a local church to encourage that to equip that, to prioritize that, to focus on that, to figure out how can we have and pursue authentic relationships. And here's the general big picture in here. Your faith is without a doubt, it is personal. I understand that. Uh, Nobody's gonna embrace Christ for you. You are the one that needs to repent and embrace Christ by faith. I did that at 17, some of you did that last week, some of you did that 10 years ago. That is a personal, that's why we say it's a personal relationship with God. But while it is personal, you've got to understand this too. It is not private. It is not private. It's not just about believing. It is also about belonging to a family that God calls the church. All right, God uses the word church 115 times in the New Testament. 115 times he uses it. A hundred of those times he's talking about a local autonomous church with faults and foibles and messed up people and extra grace required people and all those things. And here's what I would say. As a pastor of about 25 or 30 years, I can tell you that people who have a life pattern of Christian maturity, of following Jesus, of being able to follow him, they have a biblical community. They prioritize authentic biblical relationships. It's not that they only have church relationships, They also have relationships with people who are kicking the tires of the Christian faith, people they're ministering to that are not a part of the Christian faith, but they all have some type of Christian community, some brothers and some sisters that sharpen and equip and encourage and edify them. So here's what I'm going to do today. We're going to look at two texts. One of them is kind of the big picture of what. We could spend our time in here. We've done that in years past and I know that you don't remember a sermon from even two weeks from now. (laughs) I sometimes don't remember what I preached on two weeks ago, but we're going to go to a second one that actually kind of unpacks the how. So we're going to go the what first and then the how second, all right? The what first is in Acts chapter 2. So let me kind of walk you through this. Acts chapter 2, at the very start, Peter's just preached a sermon And it's not a seeker-friendly sermon. It's not three ways to improve your marriage. It's not four ways to, you know, succeed in business. It's all about repentance. It's in your faith. You killed Jesus. You nailed him to the cross. It's super, super gospel-focused. And here's what happened. So those who received his word, this is the same pattern we saw last week, belief, they received his word, were baptized, all right? So you could actually say, here's the order in the New Testament. It's belief then it's baptism, and then it's belonging, all right? It's belief. You personally embrace Christ. You are baptized, and then you understand I belong to a group of people, all right? So they received his word. They were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls, all right? So 3,000 people. It's actually, at this point, probably 3,120. There's about 120, and all of a sudden, 3,000 people get saved. So what's going to happen? How are we going to disciple them? 
Here's what it is. And listen, here's what they devoted themselves to. And they devoted themselves. Now, devoted themselves means they were strong toward. It means they prioritized. It means we are going to be about a handful of things, and this is what we got to be about. These are non-negotiables. That means that this is, our, this is our pattern. This is what we're about. This is what we're focused on. This is what we're going to spend resources on. This is what we're going to be about. It means they cleaved to these things. And here's the word that's going to jump out. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That wouldn't surprise us. Everybody's like, yeah, yeah, we're all about the Bible. True, okay? But notice before he even talks about eating and before he even talks about praying, he says we devoted ourselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. Let's break that down for a second. Fellowship is a word. Uh, I actually meant to put it up there because it's kind of a cool word. It actually is a word that's in the Greek language is koinonia. Koinonia. It means in common with. The, test, the New Testament was written in what was called Koine Greek, which means it was the language that was used by the common people on the street. And so they took that word and say fellowship. It means to have something in common. It means to have something that we all rally around. It's not just about believing something. It's about belonging. That's why the Bible uses relational terms about the church like household and family and community. That's why over 50 times, listen to me, listen to me 50 times, 50 times there's one another, one another, one another, one another, one another in the Bible. The Bible has no understanding and has no mention of somebody who believes in Jesus and then does not understand they belong to another group of people. So 50 times one another, here's some of them. Love one another, accept one another, admonish one another, care for one another, forgive one another, comfort one another, encourage one another. And what we have to understand is the early church, the early church did not have anything else in common except Jesus. That's what they had in common. Just take the chapter we were in last week, Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, look at it sometime. The church at Philippi was founded basically on three different groups of people. It's one of the healthiest churches in the New Testament. And if you were to read the whole chapter, the first person that comes to Christ is a lady named Lydia. She's a white-collar, very successful businesswoman. She comes to faith in Christ. The second one that comes to faith in Christ is a demon-possessed girl, somebody who was like caught up in the sex trade and being used and abused by her masters. And then the third guy that is saved is a blue-collar Joe Screwdriver who is working in the jail who is a retired soldier. You cannot get three more different people than that, and yet that was the foundation of what could arguably be called the most healthy church in the whole New Testament. And I began to think, I was like, here's some stuff they didn't have in common. They didn't go to the same restaurants. They didn't hang out in the same part of town. They didn't listen to the same music. God transformed them, and they shared a common bond, a commonality deeper than anything that divided them. And I'm just looking around church, and I can't look over there at Hendersonville, and we don't under, every, even, even every campus has a little bit of different flavor, if you will, based on the different parts of town and background and all that kind of stuff. But what I jotted down is we have different careers, different political viewpoints, different parenting philosophies, different economic statuses, different cultural backgrounds, different color, in some cases even different languages, and we're different in a lot of ways, and yet we're still drawn together in what the Bible calls the church, all right? The church, and so fellowship means we have something in common. You got somebody sitting next to you, and if they're a Christ follower like you are, you might not know them, you might work in different parts of town, you might be different ages, but what you have in common is you have fellowship. And so 
what's, what's going to happen? Let me skip to this next one and uh, go down to verse 46. Here's what was going on. This is going to show you. Here's one, here's one of the things we're going to be ruthless about, and we have been ruthless about it, is we do want to reach more people. We want to reach more people. But as God grows us bigger, we want to grow smaller in the sense of there will be big kind of big groups and then there will be small groups and you see it right here. Day by day, attending the temple together. You could call that big group worship, all right? They would go to the temple together, all right? What would they do at the temple? They could worship, they could evangelize, they could pray. That was big church. It was almost like a battalion getting marching orders. This is what we're going to do this week. But then what also did they do? It says in breaking bread in their homes, in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Now listen, just do the math. you got 3,100 people who have come to Christ. They might have all been able to go to the temple in several different shifts, but they were, there was not a home big enough to get all of them in there. And so what they did is they broke into small groups. We don't know how many. A home back then might, you might up on the upper room, you might be able to get 10 people in there. When you look at what's going on there, they, they made it a huge priority. What do we call them here? We call them connect groups first and foremost. So what am I asking you? I'm asking you as a Christ follower is to make fellowship, make pursuing authentic relationships just like the early Christians did. I'm asking you, make it a priority in your life. Make it a priority. Make it something that's not an add-on. It's actually a priority. That's why it says they devoted themselves to, they were strong to, they made sure it happened. It's the second thing listed. Listen, I love you, I love you, I love you, but please hear me on this. I know I'm talking to at least half of you right now. A lot of you are trying to live the Christian life with zero biblical fellowship, zero community. You attend some. You watch online, and we're glad you watch online. Watching online, while it might be one thing you can look in and peek in and make sure we're not like handling snakes or doing something crazy, I understand that part of it. But listen, it's not a substitute for being in a place. And if you're watching us from Ohio, find a church in Ohio. All we are is a supplement, okay? You don't live off online stuff. That's to push you to go and be a part of a local body right where you are. So you watch online, you attend some, but you're not connected. You're not engaging in common life together. If I could just be so blunt as to say you're not acting like the early Christians. You're just not. Now, I know there's a bunch of reasons why. I was thinking about that. There's probably seven or eight. Let me just do about, uh, let me do three. Here are the three top reasons that I would say people give about why they do not have fellowship built into their life. The first one is this. You know, it's, it's, that's kind of arrogant, but it's just basically I don't need it. Kind of what you're saying is I come to church to get a religious buzz, to feel good about checking off the box. It really means either I don't understand what the Bible says, which is what we're clearing up now, or that you're really not serious to say I'm serious about being a disciple of Jesus. Because here's what we fight. Because of our sin, what we fight in relationships is a couple of different ditches that you can fall into. We've dealt with this before. On one hand, one ditch that you can fall into is dependence, or the sociologists call this, or psychologists, they call this codependence. Dependence means, you know what, I gotta have that pastor, I gotta have this leader, I gotta have this person in my life, and if they're not there, I don't know what I'm gonna do, okay? That's not, that's not super healthy, okay? For most of us over here, and if I could just be also so bold as to say, this is where I am, just so you understand, this is what I fight. 
Those of you that are like, I'm an ISTJ. Those of you that are Myers-Briggs people, all right? Those of you that are Enneagram people, I'm an eight. All right, those of you that are whatever that other one is, I'm a choleric. What that means is I am very comfortable alone, all right? Very comfortable alone. You're like, you're a person. You're a people person. I am not. I am not. I am not a people person. I'm not. You're like, but you're nice. I try to be nice, all right? I want to be nice, and I love you, but it's being with being with people instead of energizing it is a drain. That's not wrong. That's just the way God made me. But what I fought against my tendency, some of you fight against dependence. It's all about me. I got to have it about me. You got to support me. You never give back. Other people like me, you always are going to fight independence, all right? Nobody too close. Keep everybody at arm's length. What we want to have, what healthy biblical community is, is interdependence, all right? Interdependence. Means you know what? There's times when we carry our own load, but there's also community. When the load gets too heavy, they are there with you. And so, uh, you know, what's going to eventually help you understand that you do need it? You ever wondered about your uh, spiritual poverty? It's like, why, why, am I so, why am I so poor in my spirit? How come there's no joy anymore? Could it be that you have relinquished biblical community? or consistent defeat? How come, how, how come I fall to the same temptation over and over again? How come I don't even resist anymore? It could be that you have no biblical community. Let me even say this, some of you are like, man, my marriage stinks right now. My marriage stinks and we're praying to God, God help our marriage. But if you don't get into a community group, a connect group saying, God help my marriage, that's like standing next to a water fountain saying, God, I'm thirsty. And he's like, it's right there, bro, it's right there. You will learn more about marriage in a connect group, both the do's and the don'ts, than you will in 10 different books. So some of you like, I don't need it. That's just either ignorant or arrogant. I'm not sure which one. All right, that's the first one. The second one would be this. And I understand this one. I can't trust. I can't, I can't trust. And let me try to be clear uh, on this one. Uh, some of you, you struggle. And... Uh, Two, two ways this typically shows itself. And the first one is this. You, you look at people at church, and they look like they have all their act together. And they're like, hey, they look like they're so together, and they're just so victorious and so joyful. And I saw him raise his hands in worship, and he knows how to find the book of Numbers. And I know oh, this is like I, but they don't struggle like I struggle. Please hear me on this. There's not a person in here that has a struggle that somebody else in the same room also does not struggle with. All right? There's nobody in here that's like, you know what? I, I got something that, nope, the Bible says no temptation has overtaken you but that which is common to man. So you sit there and go, you know what? Everybody's perfect. Everybody's got their smile on. Listen, everybody at church today are a bunch of broken people. Some know it, some don't know it, all right? The ones that know it hopefully have embraced Christ through repentance and faith and been redeemed. Other people are like, why am I still broken? How do I? I don't want to use some crutch. I don't want to use some crutch. When people say Christianity is a crutch, don't you just want to go, no, it's not. It's not a crutch. It's the whole stretcher. That's what it is. It's the whole stretcher, okay? It's the whole thing. You're not saying, look how strong I am. You're like, look how strong Christ is. You know what? But at the stretcher, to take that metaphor a little bit more, what God does is God puts people around you to actually carry the stretcher. To carry the stretcher. And just like the guy that was sick and his friends are like, I got to get him to Jesus. And they actually lowered him down through the, busted the guy's roof off and then carried him down to Jesus. You got any friends like that? You got anybody who would sit there and go, man, he's heavy. Man, she's a lot of work, but I'm getting him to Jesus no matter what. You got any friends like that? Most of us don't. 
Most of us don't. Why? Because we just can't trust. Other ones are like I got hurt and last time somebody got close to me, they burned me or they shared a confidential statement. Listen, let me say again, I'm sorry for what happened to you. And, and I'm, there's a lot of you, maybe you've been deeply wounded. You're like at my old church, somebody did something to me and I just can't get over it. Lovingly, let me say, you'll never get over it. You need to let some good people you need to let some people that love Jesus, they're flawed, but come around and love you and support you and encourage you and let God heal you through the ministry of some other people, right? And there's another one, and here's the one that is I'm probably number one if I were to list them. And here's it is, too busy, okay? Too busy. You're like, it's easy for you to say you're an empty nester, okay? You're an empty nester. As for me, bro, I got like ballet practice. I got like select baseball practice. I got, I got baby practice. I got all this kind of, I got all this practice and I got a lot going on in my life. Uh, can I just say, uh, can we just acknowledge something that we all have the same amount of time? <laughs> okay. Can I just say that? Okay. Is anybody in here got 29 hours? I would like to know. Anybody got 29 hours in a day? Nobody. Everybody's got what? 24 hours. How many days a week does everybody have? Seven days a week. Like I'm busy. Well, let me just paint this. Jesus was, would you say Jesus was fairly busy? I would say Jesus was fairly busy, all right? Sometimes he would preach to 15,000 people. People are always coming up to him and asking him to heal them. And this person's sick and provide this miracle over here and come over here and deal with this issue. He was so tired, he fell asleep in a boat one time, okay? So it's not like he was just some hippie walking around preaching a sermon once a week and that was it. Very, very busy. And yet somehow, some way, Jesus actually found time to disclose himself to 12 men, three even more than the other, the other ones, and them disclose themselves to him. So before you say, I don't have time for this, what you're really gonna say is, I got, I, I, I'm busier than Jesus, all right? I don't think anybody wants to say that. So here's what I'm gonna do the, the rest of the time. What I'm gonna do is we're gonna look at this second passage. That's the what. We have a lot of, we're gonna pray for our small group leaders here uh, at the end of the service. I don't think we've ever done that, where we have them stand, we honor them, we recognize them. And we're gonna pray for uh, you individually, all right? Whether you're a children's worker, whether you're a, a connect group teacher, whether you work in our ladies' ministry and teach there or care there or table host or David's men or whatever, we're gonna pray for you and honor and acknowledge you. But before we do that, what I want us to do is, okay, what is a small group, what is community, what are some of the characteristics that it should have? And Romans chapter 12 is where we're gonna be. So Romans chapter 12, quick context, we don't have time to do as much context as normal. The book of Romans, the first 11 chapters is all about the gospel, all right? First 11 chapters, that's all it's about. Gospel, 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 gospel. Chapter 12 to the end and chapter 16, what it is is this is how the gospel fleshes itself out in practical ways. In the back half of chapter 12, what you see is this is what Christian community is supposed to look like. This is what it's supposed to look like. All right, let me read it and then we're gonna, I'm gonna list four characteristics. Here's what I want you to do. If you're a small group leader, small group leader, this would be a great one to actually not only judge yourself, but on a scale from one to five, kind of judge the ministry God's given you. It's like, how does our home group look? How does our connect group look? How does my student group look, all right? How does my David's men group look? How does my ladies Bible study look? How does this look on a scale of one to five? One being, man, we are lame in this, and five being, we are, we are strong in this, really, really strong. There's gonna be four that we're gonna pick out here. Let me read the passage. Romans chapter 12, starting in verse nine. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. 
love one another. This is a great one. It says it's actually kind of redundant, but it's like love one another with a brotherly affection. I love that. We'll come back to it. And this is the one we're going to spend a little time on. Outdo. I, uh, I mean, we got some competitive people in here. I can see it right now. There's some competitive people. We have a competitive church, all right? Uh, my wife's like, you are too competitive. I'm actually not as competitive as I used to be. I used to like try to box her out when we play basketball, but now it's like, no, we don't do that anymore. But it says outdo, outdo one another, outdo one another in showing honor. In other words, compete. How can somebody show more honor than somebody else? Verse 11, do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Couple more verses. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. That's one of the accelerants of actual fellowship is praying together. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show the hospitality. Hospitality literally means the love of the stranger. Okay, so here's what we're gonna do. Grade yourself if you're a small group leader on your group. If you're an individual Christian, Grade yourself on how you do this just with your relationships. This is about Christian relationships, all right? It's about Christian relationships. It's not even about how you treat somebody who's not even in the faith. This is about how you treat people at church, in your small group. How do you do this? First one is this. And I, this was such a large one, I didn't even know how to do it, so I'm just going to use what the text says, and that would be genuine love. Genuine love. Let me break that down. Genuine means free from pretending simulating or acting. It means not surfacy, not fake. It literally means uh, without hypocrisy. The word was without acting. Back in these days, actors would play more than one part, and the way they would play more than one part is they would get a mask on. So if they were gonna play the happy guy, they would have a happy mask, then they'd put the sad mask on, then they'd put the mad mask on. They played all of these different roles based on what they were trying to portray to the audience. And he says, that's not the way Christian relationships are supposed to be, all right? They're supposed to be authentic. They're supposed to be genuine. Now, before we do this, I understand that doesn't happen in five minutes, all right? So I understand it's really uncomfortable when you meet somebody for the first time and you're two minutes into a conversation. They're like, hey, would you disclose your, like, your biggest struggle of sin? Would you? That is uncomfortable, okay? All right, authentic bucket is huge. Transparent bucket is small. Let me say that again. Your authenticity bucket is huge. You want to be authentic with anybody, all right? Be real. Your transparency bucket is like, hey, bro, this is what I'm really struggling with. That needs to be earned. That's a group of people that have earned some trust, that they won't open their mouth, that they'll pray for you, they won't stand up in connect group and go, let me pray for, you know, pray for Steve because his marriage is falling apart. That's like, that's not good at all, all right? There's probably three different levels. You got the surface level. Surface level is, hey, what's the weather like? How the panther's going to be? Uh, and that's fine. That's the way every relationship starts, right? You walk into a connect group. You walk into a small group, and that's typically what it's going to be. And as a matter of fact, can I just say this? That's probably what, if you have a connect group of 18 people, that's what it's going to be like for probably half of the people in there. Jesus was actually closer to three than he was to the other ones. He spent more time with them. He exposed them to more. He let them see different experiences that the other ones did not get to see. So don't be afraid of that and don't be ashamed of that. But surface level, the second level is personal. And that's when you start to actually become a friend with somebody. It's a personal thing. You talk about your career. You talk about uh, maybe your son, your daughter. You talk, you're talking about some personal stuff, man. How's the house coming? I heard that was awesome. Those are good. That's the next level. That's usually where most stay. 
All right, that's where most stay. That's where 90 some odd percent of your Christian relationships will be. But the third one, the third one is called fellowship. Fellowship is when you pray together and you discuss together and you might even share something. One of the things that I've learned is this, is that, in, that disclosure, when you disclose, hey, I'm struggling with this. Disclosure is the currency of intimacy. Let me say that again. Disclosure, hey, I'm struggling with this. All right, or this is awesome, or this made me so angry, or this made me scared when this happened. Disclosure is the currency of intimacy, all right? And you're like, well, nobody's ever that way with me. Well, then go first, okay? Go first. Don't ask somebody else to be, disclose something if you won't do it. But genuine love means this. It means an acknowledgement, you know, that we all struggle, we all sin, we all fall woefully short of the glory of God. We all battle selfish nature every single day, and the gospel allows us to admit we struggle. Connect group teachers, that's why you have that little paradigm in there that we trained you in is the oats, okay? It's okay to ask your people, hey, how, did you obey God in this, okay? Did you obey God in this, okay? Hey, you know, what about... What about Something else going on in your life. Did you abide in the word? What about sharing your faith? All these things. So uh, look at verse 9. It says, actually, you love like God. It says, love like God. And I thought about this. It says, love with genuine love. It's, there's two different words for love here. One is agape. One is phileo. Agape means God-like love. That's verse 9. It means I'm not giving up on you. So few people are actually like this. The Christian army is so guilty of oftentimes shooting its wounded. Let me say it again. The Christian army oftentimes is so guilty of shooting the wounded. What Christian love is, is I'm not giving up on you. When you fail, I'm not abandoning you. Now listen, you might steward your time differently if somebody is not even acknowledging or repentant in any way. But what it means is, once you see a weakness, you're not abandoning them just because they actually disclose something. And so genuine love means, listen, I am here. You can count on me. I will pray for you. That's what our brand is. Jesus said in John 13, it says, people will know that you are my disciples because you love one another. That's our brand, Golden Archers. That's McDonald's, the big swoosh. That's Nike, biblical, genuine, authentic, unhypocritical love. That is the Christian brand. That's what we're supposed to be about. And then he goes even deeper in verse 10. He says, brotherly love. By the way, brotherly love is, uh, brotherly love is cool. It's actually two words together. Uh, one of them means, uh, it's actually just kind of the idea of love. And the other one is pushed together. And it means from the same womb. I love that. From the same womb. Spiritually, that's what you are if you're a Christ follower, all right? You got a different mother, but you got the same heavenly father. That's what's called a family, all right? And he says, you love people like that. And that's so many different things in there. Think about your family, the family that's in your house. If you still have people in your family, you know where everybody is. Even if you're at the dinner table and Johnny's missing, you don't just ignore the fact Johnny's missing, okay? You don't. You know Johnny's missing. It's like, hey, we know Johnny's over here. He's at this ball practice, but you don't ignore him. You know why a lot of people drop out of community, community leaders? You know why they drop out? They're asking two questions. Number one, am I needed? And number two, am I missed? Am I known? That's why we want, if you miss Connect Group two or three times in a row, somebody's ring-a-ling-a-linging on your phone, okay? They're texting you up, not because they're badgering you, because they love you. Because Christians are like bad cars. They start to miss, they start to miss, and pretty soon they just break down altogether. <laughs> it's like, that's the original, first original thought I think I've had in about a year, is that that's actually, <laughs> that's actually the way Christians are. Let me miss a couple of times, and then I'm just going to break down. It's like, where are they? I hadn't seen them in a year. 
He says, you love each other with brotherly love. And uh, you all know I've got, I got three brothers, and they are very, very uh, good friends of mine still. You know, the integral part the Lord used them in for me to come to saving faith. Uh, in a nutshell, basically, the older brother, Stephen, actually came to faith in Christ first through the influence of his friends. And then the two younger ones, they're twins, they came to faith in Christ uh, later on when we moved to Texas. Strong, they got discipled, they're strong in the Lord. Uh, one's in Elders Bible Church up in Tulsa, the other one is in ministry down in Austin, the other one, believe it or not, is a politician, but he loves the Lord. He's a phenomenal, phenomenal, loves God greatly. And they encouraged me, they equipped me, they sharpened me, they rebuked me at times. But I came across something I actually had forgotten all about to my shame. And I, I don't even remember where we, we got it. Uh, maybe he's, I don't, know, I don't remember where it came up, but he gave it to me actually the day before I was going to marry Lori 29 years ago. My older brother was my best man at my wedding. And again, he was probably the key you know, more than the basketball coach, Stephen was the main guy that lived the Christian life in front of me. He's the one that would talk to me, talk to me, talk to me. Even if I treated him poorly, he would talk to me. And I, I got this frame recently, and uh, he gave this to me right before uh, we got married. And I'm just going to read it to you because this is like, this is brotherly love. This is brotherly love. This is what we want exemplified in our Christian relationships. This is called the birth of a man. And this was to me, again, with that background, right before I married Lori. He said, you started life as my little bro. What you'd become later, no one could know. I had no idea we had any poetic skill in our family at all. I was like, that's, that's the first one. We shared a lot of things, both good and otherwise. We disagreed a lot until you got to be my size. Uh, watching you grow was truly a treat, especially amazing, was the size of your feet. All right, so, all right, let's... Then as college came and certain events took place, there seemed to be a different look, a joy upon your face. I came to Christ right before I went off to college. What once was anger and bitterness and distaste was now love and forgiveness brought about by God's grace. The subsequent development was beautiful to see. You cared less for yourself than others and for me. You accepted Jesus Christ as God's only son and every day hence he's been your number one. Your wholehearted devotion to the Lord above has been a shining example of Christ's pure love. Your commitment to him has been an encouragement to us all. Your faith has often helped me when I otherwise might fall. It's been a joy to know you as a brother and a friend, whether joy or sorrow, I knew you would be there till the end. Gosh, that's what we gotta have at church, okay? Gotta have that at church. Thank you for your faithfulness. And then this, this last part, Bruce, as you begin a new chapter, which starts in less than a day, there's something your older brother just has to say. Your wonderful bride is a gift from above, innocent and sweet and pure as a dove. Uh, I don't even know why that, I have no idea why that accent took place right there. All right. God's, God's, given you, God's given you each other to share life's worst and best. Here is the secret to be divinely blessed. Stay faithful to the Lord and glory in all that you do. Count on him, lean on each other, and tell both, I love you, God bless you, bro. All right, so that's uh, all, that, all that said. You got somebody like that. Doesn't have to be, doesn't have to be by blood. Doesn't have to be your, technically your kin, but do you have a brother, do you have a sister around you that actually loves you like that? That's what he's telling us our groups ought to be like. Okay, second one. Are you doing one, one to five? Judge yourself. Second one would be this. Safe, but not soft. We've used that phrase before. Safe, but not soft. Safe, but not soft. What does that mean? Look what he says in the next phrase. He says, love each other with genuine love, but then he says, abhor evil. Abhor evil. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. 
Safe means we acknowledge that we sin, we welcome confession, we don't reduce the severity of our sin. Abhor means to shudder. It's like, oh, it's like you step in a cold shower. You ought to go on Facebook. We actually baptized this past week also up at Cullowee at WCU, and they baptized. I don't know why they do this. It's tradition. We were baptizing people in a stream up there, a stream. And you know, just watch it. It'll, you see them get in there. Man, Matt Harrington was baptizing. He was just awesome in there. But all the students that get in there, they're like, they're like, oh, they're like, they're like shuddering because it's so cold, all right? You get baptized in a stream in Cullowee in the winter, you love Jesus, all right? The idea, though, is this. Is that it's like they shuddered. And he's saying, listen, we need to shudder at evil. What's the balance there? It's very, very prevalent today in Christian circles to be all about, all about all about being authentic, all about, conf- you know, all about confession, all about saying, this is really what I struggle with, and that's a good thing. But listen, it's not just, it's not just Jesus loves me th- just the way I am, period. That's not the gospel. Jesus loves me just the way I am, period. Jesus loves me just the way I am, comma. And he saved me, and he's building me into a better man that says no to sin and yes to Jesus more and more often every day. So it's not just about, let's just feel good about our sin. Romans 6 says, listen, so we continue to sin so that grace may increase. And he says, God forbid, maginatai, may it never be. It's as close to cussing as the Apostle Paul ever gets in the Bible. It's like, don't ever say that. Don't ever say, let's just take grace for granted. So let me say this. You got somebody in your small group? If you're in my small group and I'm about to put the cart in the ditch, I'm about to run the car over the cliff, it's not loving for you to sit there and go, hey, pr- praying for you, praying for you as you accelerate over the cliff. No, you go get him. You talk to her. You don't just pray, I hope it gets better. That is so critical. That is so judgmental to say, I'm just going to pray as they, as they wipe everything out. No, Christian fellowship rescues. You wouldn't do that with your kids. Your kids playing in the street. Well, God bless little Junior. He loves playing in the street. He's so happy over there on Highway 26. He loves to do that. He's so happy. I don't want to bug his happiness. That's not what you do. You go, get out of the street. That's what we got to do. You ever told a sister, you ever told a brother, hey, you better get out of the street. Get out of the street. Get out of the street. Please get out of the street. I'll help you off the street. Here's, I'm going to give you, I'm going to spend a little time on this and we'll close up. This is the biggest one I've learned over the last six or seven months. His biblical honor. Man, I love this one. Look what he says. Biblical honor. He he says, outdo one another in showing biblical honor. Biblical honor. Now, biblical honor, biblical honor means, uh, honor means weighty. It means substantive. The opposite the Greeks would use, which is dishonor, which is the idea of mist or vapor. Here's what biblical honor is. Biblical honor is, I understand the significance of, your gifting, the fact that you have a story, that you have a background, that God's writing a story of grace on your life, that you bring certain things to the table that not everybody brings to the table. And I love that and I recognize that and that's awesome. Think about it, Mother's Day, what do you do? You recognize, you honor the mothers. If you're in the airport, sometime a person in military, people will stand and clap or let them get off the plane first. I've seen where people are like, hey, take my seat, it's a lot better. That is showing honor. Okay, you know what honor is? Honor is when you look at somebody, all right, when you look at somebody, when you look at somebody and you are like, I can't believe, this is Pete, I can't, I can't believe I get to be with Pete, all right, Pete, I get to be with, 
Pete. I get to be with Pete today. All right, we're going to take a selfie, Pete. Smile, all right? So here's, that's, that's what it is. It's like, Pete, I get to be with Pete? I get to be with Pete today. You know what that's showing? That's saying I'm honoring Pete. Pete has great weight with me. How are you doing in that one? How are you doing in showing honor with somebody else? Showing honor shows itself in real practical ways. Of course I'll park in the furthest parking spot. Why would I not? Of course I'll take the chair, Hendersonville. Of course I'll take the chair behind the pole. Why would I want somebody else? Let them have the seat of honor. Of course I'll work in preschool. Why would I not work in preschool? That's just the honorable thing to do. Of course I'll sit on the bad seat on days where we have overflow. Why? Because I want to honor other people. All right. I don't think we have time. Yeah, we do. Real quick. We have three minutes. Three minutes. Here's this last one. Okay. What you see is, you see the fact that it's, it is not just about consuming. It is about, do I have another one on there? I do. Contributing, not just consuming. Like, you better have that in the text. Well, look what the text says in verse 11. And it doesn't mean just what you think it means, all right? So you're like, oh, just me. Look at verse 11 and then verse 13. He says, do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Verse 13, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Now, that really was life and death for the Roman Christians. They were like, hey, I really need some food. There's not too many of us in here. There's some. Not too many of us in here that missed meals this week. There's a few. Not nearly as many as who had four and five in a day, all right? I'm just going to say that. But for them, what it was, it was pretty cut and dry. There was, I need, some, I need some food and shelter. I need some food and clothing. So what was the church supposed to do for them? Simple, give them food and clothing. Why? Because the gospel shows we're all needy, every one of us. Christ met our needs. We meet other people's needs, all right? It doesn't just mean money, all right? Let me just give you a few things. It means people, let's say, that are skilled in, skilled in, in plumbing, all right, carpentry, you share with people who are not, all right? It means parents who've raised children, you share your wisdom with new moms and new dads. It means lawyers and doctors and other professionals, you use your unique skills to serve those in need of those skills at the moment when they are needed. Connect groups, every time you write a note, every time you care in making a meal and taking it over to somebody who's hurting, every time you drop by the hospital, every time you in the lobby, you see somebody standing in the lobby who looks like they're alone, you're just like, hey, how can I care for you? That is contributing to the needs of the saints. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. First of all, for, some, for a lot of you, you're not in biblical community. We want to help that. The biggest thing you can do right now is take your phone out, and text the word CONNECT to 28282. What will happen is a pastor will touch base with you this week and help you find one. You're like, I tried one and there's not one in my area. I've heard that. By the way, we're going to be starting one soon in Brevard. I've noticed a lot of people coming from Brevard. So we're going to be starting one in Brevard soon. So all you Brevard people, all right, stay strong. Uh, let us know that you're there. We're going to start one out there. You're like, I haven't found, let us help you. There are hundreds, hundreds of small groups Text the word, it's like, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. Again, you're either arrogant or you're ignorant. I'm not sure which one. You're not ignorant now, though. You need some people around you. Connect groups aren't perfect, all right? You're going to join one that's not perfect, and you're going to make it more imperfect. So that's the way church is supposed to be about. Second thing is this. If you are, and I'm going to hand it over to the campus pastors in just one second. What we're going to do is this. If you are a 
small group leader at all the campuses, if you're a small group leader in virtually any small group we have, we start with connect groups. So if you're a connect group leader, teacher, if you are a David's men leader, if you are in Biltmore Women and you teach or you lead a, you're even, you're a table host, if you, uh, if this is the hour you're not working in uh, children's ministry, if you would just do us the favor and just stand where you are, we want to honor you and thank you just by putting our hands together. It all, go ahead. You're going to have to stay standing, all right? I don't know if, go ahead and stand. It's not, thank you. Go ahead. Thank you. All right, so campus, you guys stay standing. Campus pastors, you're going to pray for the ones on your campus. I'm going to pray for the ones right here, and then we're going to be done. All right, Father, thank you for the men and women who are standing. Thank you for the investment that they make in who knows how many lives. Thank you for the hours of preparation and study and counseling, phone calls, praying, crying out to God on behalf of the people in their class. Thank you for them. Guys, we go through what has started off as the best year in the history of our church. Thank you for these leaders who you use. We give glory to God, but we want to show gratitude and honor to the people who you're using. God, our prayer is this year, their personal walk with you would be the most fervent that it's ever been. That the things that you show them in their own personal walk, they would be able to teach or coach, minister, counsel, lead, pray from the overflow of what you have taught them during the week. God, help us as a people to be constant in praying for our leaders, to lift them up, to pray for them, to pray for their spiritual vitality, to pray for their families, to pray for their walk, to pray for their purity. God, thank you for them. God, I pray this week will be a week when more than normal, we hit our knees, and whether it's our connect group teacher, our David's men leader, our table host and ladies, somebody who takes care of our children, that we would be constant this week to pray and to thank God for them. God, help them feel affirmed, help them be encouraged, help them know that they're being prayed for. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, one more round of applause right here at Arden, okay? Good job.